Psalm 46 is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. We're going to read the entirety of the psalm this morning. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge in our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. But he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold, the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we thank you first and foremost that your word is true. That we can bet our life on it. And so we come to you, God, and, and, and we want to have open eyes to see what you'd have for us in this scripture. Holy Spirit, we ask that you open our ears to hear what you might whisper to us today. And God, we come before you and we open our hearts, bearing our whole selves before you. God, asking that we would be different when we leave this place than when we came in. And God, we ask these things knowing that you are able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. We ask this in the power of your son's name. Amen. Well, this summer, uh, I had the ability to travel to Minnesota and be with my family for my grandmother's memorial service. And it was so special because I don't get to see my family uh, really often. And I always feel like they're missing out on my children's lives as they're growing up. So I got to have my three children there with my dad, their grandpa, and their, their aunts and uncles. And I had this really surreal moment. I was watching my son, Mateo, climb into my father's lap. And, and something happened in that moment that, that just didn't happen when I saw my girls do it. As my son climbed up into my father's lap, this flood of vivid memories just hit me out of nowhere. I was completely floored. And in that moment, I remembered being a little boy myself, just, just Mateo's side and, and climbing into my dad's lap. I remembered how high it seemed to get up there and sitting and being swallowed by my father's lap. And I remember thinking just how big and how strong he seemed as I sat there. We all grew up in these families, and I'm sure you had nicknames just like me. But in my family, I was dubbed the family Worrywart or Nervous Nelly. 
I was always afraid. I was always worried about something. Even if I wasn't car sick, I was worried about being car sick before I ever got in the car. I remember being with my dad and I, and I thought, when I'm older, when I'm bigger, when I'm stronger like my dad, I just won't be scared of anything. Because as I looked at my dad, I didn't think he was scared of anything. But now the tables have turned and as I hold my own children in my lap, I realize just how mistaken I was. Instead of having less fear as an adult, it seems like I have more things to worry about, more responsibilities that, that cause anxiety and keep me up at night, more things to be afraid of. And I wonder, as we sit in this room with hundreds of people, I wonder how many of us, if we're being honest, would admit to feeling fearful about some of the life circumstances you find yourself in. I wonder how many of us, as we watch the 24-hour news cycle and our our Twitter notifications uh, keep dinging uh, on our phone, how many of us would find ourselves uh, worrying and feeling anxious about the current events in the world and everything that's happening around us? And if I'm honest... If we were raising hands this morning, mine would be the first in the air. I've had moments where I've been caught up in fear and anxiety as I wrestle with all that's going on. And taking in all that's going on, asking myself, how is it that I'm supposed to respond to these things? I found my mind wandering just endlessly through scenarios that will probably never even happen. And I want us to just for a moment sit with the weight and that tension this morning. Asking God, God, what is it that that causes that fear and that anxiety to, to well up in me? The fear, for me anyways, usually gives way to this wave of guilt that washes over me when I remember the sermons I've heard and I've preached on not being afraid. Or the times I've actually told somebody else wrestling with fear, living in a difficult situation with a pat on the back, hey, don't be afraid because the Bible tells us not to fear. So grateful that I grew up in a family where my parents had us in an Awana program and we were at church on Sundays and Wednesdays and we were surrounded by it. But I I grew up sitting in church and hearing pastors and preachers say, you know, the Bible commands us to fear not. 365 times from Genesis to Revelation. And it almost always was followed up by this little saying, so that's 365 fear nots for 365 days of the year. The problem for me anyways was after hearing this, I was still afraid when I left. I still had the fear. I still had the anxiety. And intellectually, Cerebrally, as I, as I read this and I take in what God is saying, I know up here that as I walk with Jesus, I'm supposed to be fearing less than before. But with all my cards on the table, just bearing it all out there, it just feels like I have more to worry about than I ever did before. So many of you know that I've had about four surgeries the last couple of years and And my health has been really dicey at times. 
But if I'm honest, that's not even my biggest fear. It's not just what if I get sick. It's what if my, what if my kids get sick? What if Brianna gets sick? What if I get sick and I'm unable to care for or provide for my family? And what if we lose our income? And what if another pandemic comes and Costco runs out of toilet paper again? And just what if, what if, what if, over and over and over, like the waves beating against the shore break. As we sit here together this morning, living in the tension of those weight, of those fears and the worries, I think, I think God wants to meet us in that special place of need. Psalm 46, Psalm 47, Psalm 48 are this trio of psalms that are, are closely connected. They're, they're psalms about the deliverance of Jerusalem from foreign enemies. And many scholars, many Bible commentaries that you'll read and Bible teachers believe that the historical context for Psalm 46, is found in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And here's what's going on. God's people were in a tremendous amount of need in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. The Assyrian army and its ruthless evil king was, was breathing fire down the necks of God's people living in Jerusalem. The enemy army of roughly 185,000 troops was on a campaign to conquer and pillage all of the surrounding territories. The Assyrian army had already decimated the northern kingdom of Judah and were coming for the sacred city of Jerusalem where many Israelite refugees had gone after their cities and towns were conquered. I was just in Uganda for two and a half weeks and Uganda is one of the most friendly country to refugees in East Africa. They almost have no laws preventing refugees. So refugees from the Congo and refugees from, from Sudan and these worn, torn areas, they come to Uganda and they live. And when you are among them, you can physically feel the fear surrounding them. The atmosphere is different in a refugee camp. And the stress that exists, you, you, can, you can feel it in the air. And so refugees had, had fled this army and are now hunkered down in Jerusalem. The Assyrians and their king, Sennacherib, had a reputation of being absolutely brutal foes. There are historical accounts of them capturing a city and taking the men and putting fish hooks in their mouth and leading them across the desert to where they would live in captivity. Before they would go and sack a city, they'd take the skulls of vanquished enemies and they'd put them on poles and they'd put them all around the city so everybody in the city could look out over the wall and see the foes that the Assyrians had conquered. King Hezekiah had already tried to bribe the Assyrian king with gold and silver, but with absolutely no success. So to prepare for the inevitable battle, King Hezekiah had man, men dam up the streams that brought water to the area. They fortified the city wall and they made an abundance of weapons and shields to organize the defense. Now, I always believe we should engage with Scripture, not just on an intellectual level to read it and to put it down as fact, but to engage with it on an emotional level. So if you will, with me just for a second, I want you to imagine what 185,000 angry, ruthless 
war-hungry enemies outside the city walls might sound like. That would be like having over three Dodger stadiums filled with people looking to kill or capture you. What would that feel like? What kind of stress and fear and worry might that stir up in you? Maybe you felt in a similar way like that before. Sure, not, not secluded in a city for protection, but you've seen, you've seen that hard thing coming towards you. Maybe you're living through circumstances that, that cause you to question what the future looks like. It's not 185,000 angry Assyrians at your gates, but it's uncertainty. Or maybe you find yourself uh, living under the weight of that medical diagnosis you didn't see coming. Maybe for you, as, as you feel that and you imagine being there, you're living under the weight of that collapsing relationship or the, the strained marriage. For others, maybe it was the layoff you didn't see coming or you're staring down a different future than you thought you would have. And as we feel that tension, the question I have is, what are we supposed to do with it? How are we as, as people of faith supposed to respond to situations when everything around us, around us collapses and that fear and anxiety and that worry begin to well up inside of you? King Hezekiah gathers his military leaders in the open square of the city gate and says, in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 7, if you want to read it, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. Sure, with him there's an army of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Then Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, he, he, he does something that's absolutely genius. He sends messengers to intimidate the people of God and to hurl insults at them and at God. Now, we've seen this before in Scripture, right? This is what Goliath did, okay? They, they mock Hezekiah's attempt to bribe them. They boast of their military victories, and they start mocking the God of Israel. Verse 17 of 2 Chronicles chapter 32 says, And he wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him saying, hey, like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hands, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And 185,000 shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them in order that they might take the city. And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth, which are the work of men's hands. 
What happens next in the story is, is extraordinary. The miracle enters the story at this point. With the enemy screaming at them to incite fear and with them hurling insults against the living God, this is how King Hezekiah responds in verse 20. He says, Then King, then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. Verse 22 says, So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies. And he provided for them on every side. Victory! God gave victory to his people. And in this text, if you imagine being there, you can almost hear the collective sigh of relief from the Israelites. But before that victory, while the people were fleeing conquered towns and in the midst of the enemy shouting from outside the wall, the people were terrified. In 2 Kings, it said, the people were so scared that when it came time for women to give birth, they didn't even have the energy. They were living in total fear. And it's because of that that I believe the psalmist wrote the beautiful words of Psalm 46 after this victory is both a song of worship and is a powerful reminder to the people of God. Look at Psalm 46, verse 1. The psalmist wrote, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. The psalmist remembering what had just happened with the Israelites and the Assyrians pens these powerful words that God is our refuge and He's our strength and He's this present help in trouble. He, he lists three things that God is to His people and especially in the midst of troubling times. He says that, that God is our refuge. This word refuge here translates literally as a place of trust. Saying God is a safe place of trust for the person of faith when everything is falling apart. When you have no idea how you're going to take that next step forward. When you are so afraid of surgery number four that God is a special, safe place of trust. When life falls apart or you feel like you're living in the midst of a terrible storm, you get a special kind of clarity as you look at the things around you. When life falls apart, all the temporal things we've placed our trust in, the, the safety nets 
we've created, the things we've built, the careers we've built, the, the relationships we've surrounded ourselves with, the, the status or the respect that you've earned are revealed as what they truly are. Imperfect. Fleeting. They're a refuge made of disappointment, but God. But God is a refuge where your trust will never be disappointed. So many things in life fail, but God never fails. We sang it in the first set. His love for you will never fail. If everything else is stripped away and you find yourself completely exposed, having no idea what to do with fear completely overtaking you, you can rest in the fact that God's love will never fail. It will never be taken from you. You can't escape it. God's plan for your life, however difficult it is to see, however difficult it is to understand in the midst of difficulty, will never fail. Proverbs 18 verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. God said, uh, the psalmist says that God is this, place of refuge, a a safe place for us to put our trust. And secondly, he says that God is our strength. I know that in a room this size, that as you got your coffee, someone said, hey, how are you doing? You're like, fine, I'm great. Happy, Happy Labor Day weekend. But you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm not great. I don't feel strong. And I don't know how I'm going to face tomorrow. Here's the truth for you in this second part. God is strong when you're not strong. God is strong in your weakness. God is strong when I feel weak. And God is strong when I feel overwhelmed. And God is strong when I feel like I can't go any further. And God is strong when I'm crippled with anxiety. And God is strong when the enemy's attacks in your life seem relentless. God's strength is available to us for the battle ahead of us. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 through 31 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be faint. I love this quote from Warren Wearsby that says, God doesn't protect us in order to pamper us. God shelters us. He's refuge for us so he can strengthen us to go back to life with its duties and its dangers. 
God is our refuge. He is our strength. And thirdly, the psalmist writes that He is our very present help. I have a question I'd, I'd like you to ask yourself today. When life is crumbling all around you, when you feel overwhelmed by fear, where do you picture God when you're living in that mess? Where do you picture God when you're living in that mess? Do you picture him as a a distant onlooker? Is he seated above you, looking at your life with a notebook, keeping track of your failures and shortcomings? Man, this is the view I lived, uh, that I had of God and I lived with for a long time. Like he was some cosmic scorekeeper. That he'd just watch Aaron and, and if Aaron failed and did something wrong, it was like, oh, Check on that side of the box. That's not a good one. And then, so I, I try to do, I try harder to be better. And God's like, okay, tally mark on the good side. And then if I was going through something and I, and I was fearful or I didn't know what to do, God would give me a check on the bad side because I'm not supposed to be afraid of me. This was the, the messed up view of God that I had. But the psalmist says that God is this present help. He's near to you. He's He's beside you and goes before you and is behind you. I love what Psalm chapter 34 verse 18 says. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Man, that's like medicine for the soul. This was the only verse that brought comfort to me this last year when Brianna's very young, very healthy aunt passed away from COVID. The truth that the Lord is near those whose, whose heart is broken. He's, he's close to you when you're disoriented and speechless and, and you can't make sense of anything. God is in the middle of that mess near to you with your broken heart. Church, this is why the Christmas story is so beautiful that God himself entered into our mess by taking the form of a man and being perfect without sin. He lived in the brokenness of our world. He felt the pangs of hunger and hurt and death. He he weeped outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus when he died. But in perfect righteousness, he made a way for us to be reconciled, to be at peace with God and to have God's presence with us because of Jesus' work on the cross. Psalm 46 says God is a refuge and he's our strength, a very present help in trouble. And in verse 2 of Psalm 46, the psalmist says, Therefore, because the above mentioned is true, time-tested, because God is our refuge and our strength and a very present help, we will not fear. Circumstances may change, but God's covenant with his people will never change. God's promises will never change. His sovereignty will never change. His kingship will never be removed from him. His lordship can never be taken away. And the truth we can hold on to this morning is that surrounding circumstances will not negate the proven character of God. 
the time-tested character of God. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And this word here, selah, means to pause, to, to take note, to, to meditate on that incredible truth. To meditate on the truth that when everything comes crashing down around you, when everything you've known to be safe and secure falls apart, when everything you've counted on and planned on and relied upon disappears, when the darkness seems to never end, through economic uncertainty, through stock market crashes, through record unemployment, through civil unrest and riots, through all those things are happening, we will not fear. This is the encouragement, the reminder of the psalmist as he writes this psalm. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. Lord, we just pray for protection and healing. Lord, we ask you to, to be so present as we've just read in this circumstance, God. Thank you for, for uh, people that can come and give aid and help. Lord, we just uh, lift our brother or sister up and ask that you touch them now. Amen. All right, be praying for the rest of the, uh, as we're going through this. Be praying, church. Are you still with me? Can we keep going? Awesome. Hey, I don't know about you, but I love this story of rescue. It, it, like Adam's talking about a good movie. We watch the Israelites and God comes in. And he's like, angel of the Lord, and we win victory, right? I love stories of victory. It's why I'm a sucker for Marvel movies and superhero movies because no matter how bad it gets, you know that Thor's going to come and just like hammer somebody, right? It's even better when it's about God's faithfulness. And I read it. And in the moment, I'm like strengthened in my spirit but I know that I can go home and when I'm alone again, that fear can come back. The problems and the troubles that cause that fear to well up in me are still waiting for me outside the doors of this church when I leave. But the good news for us today is that while the problems don't just magically go away, the way we face the problems completely changes for those of us who follow the Lord. 
When we read in the Bible, do not fear, or say to someone, just trust God, we can acknowledge together that's a lot easier to do than it is to actually live out, right? To say don't fear is, is easier than to actually live in a place with no fear. So for me, when I say, hey, trust in God or, or take courage, and I read that from Hezekiah, this is a place that I set my mind. I choose to, to set my mind in a place of trust, and I wait, and I allow my heart to follow. I give my heart, and I give my emotions time to follow where I have set my mind. We first trust with our mind, and then we trust with our heart. That's how it works. And I've always said the longest distance for truth to travel is from your brain to your heart. Because I can know something is true, but I don't always feel that that thing is true. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Like I can know these things about God, but sometimes when that situation happens, it like goes out the window and my heart takes over. We, we trust God by placing our mind in a position of trust and giving our heart time to follow. And as we practice that and do that, we then get to experience the promises of God in our life. I want to go back to what's happening with Hezekiah. While the people of God heard the noise of the enemy troops outside the walls of the city, they were afraid. And here's what Hezekiah didn't do. He didn't say, okay, men, uh, it's time to be brave and shape up. There was no brave heart moment. There was no paint on the face. There was no, there was no horse. He didn't say, okay, guys, put on your big boy pants and muster up some courage. He didn't do it at all. What did Hezekiah do? He reminds them who God is and what God has promised and who the Israelites are to God. And in light of who God is and all that he's done, the people were strengthened and encouraged. Hey, for all the parents in the room, those of you that have little ones or had little ones or now have little grandchildren running around, I want you to remember and think about that time that, that your child was absolutely scared out of their mind. What never works when a child is scared? I'll tell you, when, all, when my two children came down at two in the morning last night and said, I had a bad dream and I'm terrified, you know what never works? Looking them in the eye and just saying, well, don't be afraid, go back to bed. And you laugh because you know it's true because they left and like 15 minutes later they came and they're like, Dad. And I'm not the most compassionate person at 2.15 in the morning. So it wasn't like, yes, my love. It was like, what? I'm still afraid. And, and all my cards on the table, I'm going to be honest, I just yelled, stop it. Don't do that. Don't be afraid. It never works. During the lockdowns, during the craziest parts of the lockdowns, we said, hey, now's the perfect time to teach Adeline how to ride a bike with no training wheels. We have nothing else to do but go ride a bike. I remember as she's afraid of riding the bike and taking those first few pedals without the training wheels, getting down on my knees and looking at her in the eyes and saying, hey, I'm here. I'm, I'm with you. 
Do you feel this? I'm, I'm holding the back of the sea. Go ahead, lift up, your, lift, up your, lift up your feet. Do you feel that? You're not gonna fall. I'm holding the sea. I'm with you. I'll protect you. You're not alone. It's gonna be okay. I know how this works. I looked at her and I said, remember when you were like really little and I'd pull out the vacuum cleaner and you would just scream because you were so afraid? And I said, hey, it's not gonna hurt you. Remember how I was telling the truth? Hey, trust me in this moment. Remember when you fell and you scraped your knee and I, I picked you up and I, I held you and I wiped the tears from your cheeks? Remember when you were at school and those kids said those hurtful things and you came home and you cried and I just, I, I, I hugged you and I told you you're valuable and you have worth. And if you've worked with children, if you've raised children, what you know to be true is that even in the first step that that child takes, there's still fear in their eyes. The first time they pick up their feet and put them on the pedals, there's still fear in their eyes. But by step 10, walking in the above truths of what I told them, the fear starts to fade. Because the mind deciding to trust turns into the heart experiencing freedom from fear. In a similar way, I think God understands our own struggle with fear. And I don't think God looks at us frustrated and angry when we read or are told, don't fear, don't be afraid, and we struggle to get there. I think God looks at us like a perfect father looks at his scared child. And he says, I'm here. I know you're scared, but I'm with you. I'll protect you. You're not alone. It's going to be okay. We first place our mind in a position of trust and wait for our heart and our feelings to follow. And even in the first step we take, there can still be fear, but by step 10, walking in the above truths, the fear starts to fade because the mind deciding to trust turns into the heart experiencing freedom from fear and living in the promises of God. The psalmist continues to worship God and remind the people, let's go to verse 4 of Psalm 46. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, come and look. Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I love this. God's invitation for us to be still. In the middle of the battle with the war raging all around us, the invitation is not do more, try harder, fight harder, muster up some courage, read your Bible more, do this, do this, be better, be better. It's just be still. Be still.
in a culture of hurry and busyness and chaos. Stillness is so hard. But it's crucial for the life of a follower of Jesus. Because hurry and busyness and distractions are the enemies of intimacy with the Lord. So how do we embrace stillness in the midst of chaos and hurry? First thing we need to do is is stop. Stop moving. Stop striving. Stop grasping for control. Stop just trying harder. Stop trying to be better. Just stop. It's the psalmist's call to surrender. To come to the Lord and surrender. Surrender your whole self. Surrender your mind and your your thoughts. And then we come and we surrender our our emotions and our feelings and we just come before Him and we, 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 we stop moving. We had a practice at Reality Santa Barbara while I was on staff there. Pastor Chris Lazo was so great at this and so great at pastoring us through this. We'd do this activity as a staff where we'd just take five minutes and be completely still and silent before the Lord. And that five minutes feels like 55 minutes because I'm never still and silent. God says, you want peace when the war's all around you? Just stop. Come to me. Surrender. Secondly, we turn off the noise. We turn off the distractions. We quiet the anxious voices. This is what the New Testament, when it says we take every thought captive to Christ. We take those anxious thoughts and we we bring them before Jesus and we say, Jesus, you own that and, and I surrender it before you. I'm turning off the noise. We quiet the divisive voices. We turn off the 24 hour news cycle. So much of the news and entertainment and social media is just that. It's just noise. This is what the Assyrians were trying to do to God's people and they were screaming and shouting. 185,000 is just causing noise to, to, to well up fear in you. And we stop and we take that and we turn off the noise and we, we put it to the side. And while we sit in that posture of surrender with God, acknowledging all of these things in our life are true and happening. I'm not pretending they're not there. I I surrender them to you. I turn off the noise and then I, I make a decision to turn up the truth in my life. I set my mind on the truth of who God is and what God has done. And with that truth, you declare that truth out over your circumstances and over your life. And I know that feels weird to sit there and and to bring those things before the God, but to say out loud to him, God, you are sovereign over this mess because you are Lord over this situation. And I don't want another surgery and I don't want to do this again, but God, I'm just saying out loud that you are in control. We worship the truth. We declare the truth. We pray the truth. We meditate on the truth and you find friends who remind you of the truth. 
I'm going to invite Joseph and Brooke to come and prepare to lead us in worship. And I want to end with this thought. I know that with this many people in the room, everybody's just not fine. That's what we said to each other when we got coffee, but I know it's, it's just not true. There are real concerns and real worries. Things that are real that, that, that really do keep us up at night. And in this moment where we actually have time to stop and to turn off the noise of the world and actually worship truth, I want to end with this. We don't ever suffer alone. You don't suffer alone. If you find yourself in the middle of a battle this morning, if you find yourself full of fear and worry, you don't suffer alone. We as followers of Jesus Christ have a place to bring our fears and our worries. We have a Savior who has suffered, a Savior who has been abandoned, who stared down and bore the weight of all the sin the world had in it and was victorious. So we bring our pain, we bring our heartache to the one who on our behalf defeated sin, death, and the grave to give us salvation and hope. A hope, as the New Testament tells us, is one that anchors our soul to the promise of heaven. Where there is no pain, there is no sadness, there are no more battles or fears or worries. And just as the psalmist wrote in verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord. Church, one day we will behold Him face to face. As he wipes every tear from our eye, as John wrote in Revelation, we will behold him, the risen, conquering Lion of Judah, and we will worship him and experience his glory. As we move into a time of worship, I want to remind you that the communion elements are available up front for those who wish to partake in the Lord's Supper today. A great reminder of Christ's suffering and pain on the cross that brings us freedom. The carpets are also available for those of you who, who need a change in posture to respond to, to what's in God's Word. A change of posture to come and to get on your knees or to, to lay flat before the Lord in a position of, of surrender. And I pray that we would surrender those fears to him today that we would place our mind in a position of trust saying god this is who you are this is what's true about you i'm going to declare that truth and allow my heart to follow let's pray God, sometimes I, I feel afraid. I do. God, I bring that to you. Maybe it's not fear. Maybe it's just 
stress, about work, about life, about family. God, we bring that to you in this moment. We come and we, we actively choose to set our minds on, on who you are, your power, your might, your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your steadfastness, your faithfulness, your loving kindness. We come to you and we pour out an offering of worship. Amen.